0: Hello, my Pancake Posse, my Bacon Brigade. Before the show starts, take a second to subscribe and leave a review, share with some friends, and while you're listening, make sure you check out the official Breakfast store with so much amazing merchandise at breakfast.com People of Earth, if you can hear my voice, you've arrived at another episode of Breakfast with Brent Pope. I am your host, Brent Pope. My guest today is musician J. Peter Robinson, and not only has he played with huge artists like Phil Collins, David Bowie, Eric Clapton, Carly Simon, Melissa Etheridge, he has composed music for scores of movies like Godzilla 2000, Wayne's World, Encino Man, Rumble in the Bronx, Cocktail and many Wes Craven projects as well, as well as composing TV music for shows like Charmed and The Deadliest Catch. And talk about iconic, J. Peter Robinson played piano on the original album recording of Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice's rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar. We also enjoyed breakfast from Clay Pit India Cuisine and Sherman Oaks. So buckle up because J. Peter Robinson, he is my guest today on Breakfast. <laughs> Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Breakfast. This young lady just smashed the lids on all these cakes in the bakery section. <laughs> I could go on a Hallmark card. My uh, guest today. Oh, I'm going to need to hear all about that. I didn't need any extra sausage. He adds character to my crew. <laughs> is a goat pit a real thing? Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Great place to hang out and good food too. I'm always playing blue collar guys. Breakfast. Let me screw through the pipe. I wouldn't jump up and down until we stabilize the hydraulics. I love a crawler. Yeah. All my uncles got the gout. Jalapeno slash cheddar waffles. Who doesn't love that? It's breakfast time. Breakfast, the only show where bacon, pancakes, Hollywood. I'm your host, Brent Pope. Jay Peter Robinson, welcome to the Breakfast Studio.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here. We uh, met when I was
0: hosting an after show of Adrian Tanner's uh, web series Fetish, and that's I had right. I had such a great time talking with you that I just had to get you on Breakfast so we could have a more in depth conversation. You grew up in England.
1: Yep, born there. Yeah, yeah, in Buckinghamshire. Oh, interesting. which is uh, just outside London, you know, to, the, to the right and up a bit.
0: Okay, and then uh, you went to eventually to the Royal Academy of Music, which is that's a big deal.
1: I suppose it is. Yeah, it's a you know. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's
0: a very prestigious <laughs> it, it, school.
1: It, it kept me off the streets. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I started learning the piano when I was about eleven, which is uh, quite late, I guess. And uh, yeah, I was at the academy. I got a, got a scholarship to the academy by the time I was sixteen. Um, left school a year later, and I was there till uh, when I was twenty, I think. Yeah, so yeah. four years.
0: Okay. Um, Anything about uh, growing up in that part of England that kind of formed you uh, as an artist?
1: Well, I think it was a a very interesting time to grow up because, I mean, uh, rock and roll had just started to make itself very apparent. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I was listening to it very much because I was just intent on learning the piano just to become a concert pianist. Uh, the, The Beatles were the first band I really started listening to, uh, because the composition of their songs was so good. Yeah, um, The Stones I loved, because they were kind of raw, and my parents said, don't listen to them. So, <laughs> of course, it, it, it made them uh, all the more attractive. Um, yeah, when I, when I left the Academy, I'd, I had no idea whether I really wanted to be a concert pianist, whether I was good enough to be a concert pianist, probably not, but... You know, um, and uh, a friend of mine who was a violinist. His roommate was a guitar player who was part of a an all an augmentation band that was uh, backing up the Beach Boys in one of those package tours that they used to do in England. I don't think that existed here. We might have done some somewhat. I mean, they they used to have a. Uh, they used to say package tours like they do the Mersey Sound where all you know the Beatles and Jerry Jerry and the Pacemakers and, and all that they mm-hmm. would they would all clump together but half a dozen of them and they play in cinemas all around England you know you, the, wow. the the first band would go on would play for ten minutes and the last band like the Beatles or the headliner would play for half an hour the the concept of playing for two hours was just incomprehensible in those days so um, yeah the Beach Boys. So uh, they loved the fact that I could play classic music. Mm-hmm. So they started having me play introductions to things. And, uh, and that that caught the attention of a, a band called David and Jonathan, who were made up of Roger Cook and Roger Greenaway. They were famous songwriters in the day. So I, I played with them for a while, and with Chris Farlow. And I thought, well, maybe I should form... My own band, so in 1969, uh, Quatermass, which is a prog rock in a very humble, very heavy trio,
0: Mm
1: organ-based, screaming vocals, again, the great John Gustafson, the late great John Gustafson, bass player extraordinaire, and uh, late of the big three, who was actually... uh, Invited to join the Beatles, but he turned them down because the big three at the time were more popular. So, really? Yeah.
0: What? Um, so if he if he joined the Beatles, what uh, what instrument did he play? Bass. So
1: he, oh wow. Okay. Oh yeah, and he was a fantastic singer. You know, he, he, everything everything began and ended with Little Richard. You know, he had that. You know, <laughs> that, that, those yeah. those songs that McCartney used to sing. Those uh, you know, uh, "Ready Teddy Baby" songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would he would. He would cock that into a out the field. Wow! Terrific, terrific.
0: I saw McCartney at Dodger Stadium a few years back, and that was, I mean, mind blowing. You know, just the just all those iconic songs that I've heard forever. Two
1: hundred, over two hundred and fifty of them.
0: Yeah, and then uh, my wife Tress and I went to see the Stones just a couple years ago at the at the Rose Bowl, and man, those guys have a lot of energy. It's unbelievable
1: <laughs> i think i saw i think i think it was the bridges to Babylon tour i saw at the rose bowl is that right yeah and i think they that uh, they written that they put a pedometer on jagger's leg and he he ran 9 miles <laughs> during 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 <laughs> no, the concert that doesn't surprise yeah, yeah.
0: me at all so you would say like the Beatles uh, were major influences yours?
1: Well, I wouldn't you? say. Well, I would say they were major influences. But they, they, were the, they, they, they caught my attention. Let's okay. put it that way. Let's put it that way. I was more interested in 20th century avant-garde music. Oh, gotcha, Okay, and, and uh, uh, music of that genre. Um, but of course, as I started playing with those bands, um, those avant-garde composers seemed to. Coalesce into an expression that we used to do uh, on stage. Okay. Yeah, musically, I mean, anyway.
0: Yeah. You
1: know? I mean, you can't get away with that now. I mean, there were, audiences in those days were more receptive to more outre mm-hmm. expressions than they are today, I think.
0: Now it's like, yeah. Yeah. They, if you don't fit in some kind of little box, it's. Yeah. Uh...
1: Well, in England, you see, in England, I think, as opposed to here. Um, music you heard new music in pubs mm-hmm. you know a band could go and play for an hour and a half in a pub you're terrible or interesting or whatever but it would at least it'd be in you know original yeah. but it's bands here in america started their life off doing top 40 yeah so it wasn't so be, be, being original was uh, wasn't as prevalent mm-hmm. here as it was there
0: uh, it was interesting what you were talking about too when you said that like you those times when you guys would have somebody play for ten minutes and the sets were not that long.
1: Well, oh, yeah, when the, when the Beatles right. played Shea Stadium, they yeah. played for half an hour. Yeah, which they, is like that, that's what the top a top right. liner would play. That's what I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. So
0: the, a few years back, they had a thing at the Hollywood Bowl where Dave Stewart uh, of the Eurythmics. Yes, he uh, he and a band that he had with him. Um, I think ringo's kid maybe was in the band uh zach i think he might have been oh, playing zach there Starkey, yeah. Yeah. yeah he they recreated so at the hollywood Bowl you go and the, we're going to recreate the beatles first performance at the hollywood Bowl and it was yeah. 28 minutes or something like that That's so right. yeah yeah that was interesting because now you get used to these like hour and a half two hour yeah. shows yeah. snooze yeah. Right. Well, and there's a lot of there's a lot of dead time in some of those shows too, where they, yeah. you you could have cut it down to an hour long show. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, 1970 is that when Jesus Christ Superstar gets recorded? That's
1: right. Yeah. yeah. How
0: did you get involved with that? I mean, did, did,
1: how- well, um, our Quatermass's manager Gloria Bristow, the inimitable Gloria Bristow. Um, she uh Quatermass was basically let me just run back a couple of steps Quatermass okay. was formed because uh Ian Gillan and Roger Glover the singer and the bass player respectively um of a band called Episode 6 were asked by deep purple to join them mm. which called which obviously was the collapse of 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 uh, of episode 6 and the drummer, Mick Underwood, who I'd played with in a in in a in a club for a uh, a singer called James Royal, you know, in as one does. You know, he said, well, what are we going to do? You know, he said, well, maybe you can, we can get together and form a band. So he said, well, I know this bloke, Pete Robinson. So she called me up and we jammed together. And she knew of John Gustafson and we went to see him in a pub and he said, yeah, I'll do that. So, that band formed, Quatermass formed, and um, Andrew and Tim Rice, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, were putting together this rock opera, and they wanted Ian to play Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, they thought that John Gustafson would be great to play, I can't remember the character's name now, but he did that. And... He said well I've got you should l- l- listen to our boy on keyboards. Mm-hmm. So he said okay fine well h- have him come along. So I went along and they were doing a, I think it was a g- acoustic guitar and hi hat overdub mm-hmm. at Olympic Studios which took about 8 hours and I'm sitting there going mm, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually they uh, you know but you know m- listen money was money they were going to pay they were going to pay union scale which was like 9 pence. And, uh, before we started, Andrew, Andrew said to me, now we, you know, before we start, uh, we can either pay you Musicians Union Scale or we don't pay you anything and we'll give you 1% of the record. I said, I think I'll take the, uh, Union Scale. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, that was it. I did the whole record and it it was, it was great. It was a great relationship, you know, I, you know, um, Andrew and Tim were fantastic, and the, and the band, which was basically Joe Cocker's Grease Band, mm-hmm. we had great fun. And the record came out in England, and didn't do so well. Hmm. It didn't do so well. So I thought, oh, I'm glad I got my 200 pounds, thanks very much, in the pocket. <laughs> Dosh in the posh, so to speak. Well, of course, they, you know, Andrew said, we're going to America tomorrow. So he said, God knows what that's going to be like. Well, of course, they went there and had no idea of the. He said it was the most terrifying thing he'd ever seen because they were, touch my child, you know, Jesus is coming, all the rest mm-hmm. of it. And of course, this thing took off like a, a brush fire. Yeah. So, uh, you know, now I regret not taking the one percent. <laughs> of course. But, um, so, well, anyway, so yeah, so that was it. We did the film. Andrew Previn conducted okay. conducted the orchestra. And uh, we had a great time with him. What a what a fantastic musician and a great piano player. Yeah, the, uh, there was uh, me and Ann Odell, who was uh, in another band that I was in. And he, we, we we had three pianos and we just jammed for about an hour while they were having lunch. Wow. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Very cool. Um,
0: so, when you're, I guess, then when you're when you're first recording the stuff, you have no idea that it's going to be what it turns out to be.
1: Well, no, especially after eight hours of hi-hat and acoustic guitar <laughs> overtime, you know. I thought, oh, God. Anyway, so we, they put the music in front. We started playing this thing, and the band was... I mean, the the band, the, with the rhythm section was fantastic. So we had this great melding of minds with that. Yeah. So, yeah, stick anything in front of us, we'll play anything. And so we did, and we had... We had some. We had some really interesting moments. I remember in, in the, the crucifixion scene, Andrew wanted me to uh, hit the inside of a piano with a with an anvil, like a like an anvil with a spike and a hammer. And I'm doing. And I'm miming this. You see.
0: Yeah.
1: And they like turning it up in the studio. Okay. Um, are you doing it? We can't hear anything. <laughs> and I'm going. <laughs> then I'm doing this, this. So I know they had it on really loud, and I went ding, and you could see them visibly jump <laughs> up in the studio. Yeah, four sons. I think I got something in there. Did you get something then? Yeah, yeah. So that was good. They just wanted me to like go berserk on the piano. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, it was it was fun. Um, musically, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was. It wasn't like Tommy, which was right. It was. It, it, it was more tongue in cheek if anything if i'm if I'm honest mm-hmm. and, you know, and I think that Andrew and tim I don't know whether they were this was serious to them, I mean it's as serious as it as anything can be you know Jesus Christ superstar I mean mm-hmm. this, does that does that smell of seriousness no it doesn't really, right no, no. Uh, so
0: yeah, yeah, th- I'm never quite sure that I understand what they were going for in it. I you know, enjoy uh, a lot of the music in it I think um, I,
1: I think a lot of it was sort of, you know, like old-time musical. Yeah. A pantomime, you know. I mean, the, the Herod song was basically mm-hmm. a, a pantomime song. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, those things you listen to, you watch at Christmas. They don't have pantomime here. Right. It's a shame. I think
0: they Look, I do love Yvonne Elliman's voice is oh, she was so great. And then I, you know, Ooh. she also did those songs on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Mm-hmm. and. Ooh. She's really, really lovely good. girl, yeah.
1: lovely girl. Yeah. Oh, the loveliest, sweetest girl. So when you're doing most of the tracks
0: today, probably everyone's all recording separately. Are you recording a lot of stuff a lot of the stuff all together or is it
1: When you say separately what? But... Uh, the drums at saying,
0: Are you recording everyone at the same time in a big room like the orchestra, or is it just like doing the drums first and then people listen to the drum track and record?
1: Oh no 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 no! Yeah, um, it, it, all the rhythm section was done at once.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, they might they might do a guitar overdub, uh, but yeah, that was vocals rhythm.
0: at the same time too.
1: Vocals were not done at the same okay. time. There yeah. may have been there may have been a guide vocal. Right, you know, stick a, stick the. Stick, the, stick a singer in the lavatory, you know, and let him sing along with it, so that at least you can get an idea of what what the uh, what the song was going to be about. Yeah. But no, I mean, it was um, it was the way it was always done. You do the you do the rhythm track, you stick the vocal on at the end. Yeah. Well, that has
0: to be cool. I mean, it's a a lot of my friends uh, even come on this show, and I've said, you know, what's your influences in musical theater, and they've said Jesus Christ Superstar. Or yeah. I had my friend uh, Chris. Joyner, yeah. I think he mentioned that as one of the first albums that he listened to, or that he yeah, he really loved. And he's a keyboardist. He he kind of toured around with a lot of bands in the nineties uh, uh, and around that time. But yeah, so you know, it's it's very cool to have to be able to talk to somebody that was there, you know, at the onset of it. And that's
1: oof. well, we were sitting there. I mean, sometimes we weren't actually there. If you get my meaning, yeah. But uh, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we. But when we when we weren't there. We weren't there all together, right? If you get my drift, (laughs) and so yeah, so it was it was a jolly good time. Nice conjoined. And and I I have to say that when when we when we worked, we worked hard, you know, to get it right. But amazingly, (laughs) that when I listened to it after, go, actually, it really sounds pretty good, you know. The
0: overture of it freaks me out because it's just this weird cacophony of sounds that kind of don't go together for sometimes.
1: Um oh, I don't know that. At, I mean at it, the very
0: I, beginning I, it's just like I mean, it's it's I don't know or maybe it's just that the sounds are kind of alarming. Like it kind of reminds me of when I'm listening to the score of like Planet of the Apes or something like that where
1: I'm just Well, that's a little that's a little more avant-garde. Um yeah. this might be uh you know avant-garde a clue. Mm-hmm. But uh no, I think I, I I think it was uh it was well structured. Um, it was un- unlike a, a rock opera, quote, rock yeah. opera that we'd yeah. heard before. But yeah, no, I mean Andrew knows what he's doing. Oh, although he, go, although absolutely. he, although he's, you know, he's like, well, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. This well, actually, it's not. But you know, <laughs> I hate, I hate the fact that you think it's easy. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> and, and Tim was just, you know, always, always in cricket gear. Come on, let's, 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 really? Let's, oh, he loves cricket. You know they were they were a very interesting couple, of so chaps
0: you know so they did this as kind of a concept album, right? would you say that's
1: uh, well i suppose yeah a, i mean a, a double album that has one theme yeah. is, is was is considered a concept album what,
0: what do you think about because some of my favorite albums of all time are considered like concept albums, you know like um days of future past, moody blues, yeah, right yeah. um I don't know there's something about the fact that this all into kind of one singular theme, just kind of Tommy, well, right?
1: I, I think I, I think the reason why those things existed was because in in those days people went out and bought a record, they would save up and buy a record, and they put it on and they would sit down and and listen to it. And the end side one, they turn it over and play side two. So that, whether it contains many songs, that's how records were purchased and listened to. Yeah. So if that was the way it is, well, then why can't we tell a story? Yeah. You know, people are going to put the record on, they're not going to go, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. Which, you know. Which, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, we, you know. sometimes we, at the end of listening to a record, think, well, I didn't think much of that. Let's listen to it again and see if we're right. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah. So there wasn't, there wasn't a sort of cancel culture that existed then. It was, people were interested. And I think, the fact that it was all new new territory, you know, um, I think made it more exciting in those days. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, music was changing. It took 10 years, I mean, from Bill Haley and the Comets in 1957 to 10 years later when, or 12 years later, we were doing J- Jesus Christ Superstar. That's yeah. a lot of development that's, in yeah. a very short amount of time. Right. And, uh, you know, it went from the concept of, now I wonder if this note that I'm playing here on the guitar will alter the mindset of the planet mm-hmm. to how much money can I make from doing this, you know. <laughs> and unfortunately, I think yeah. it, it ended up being that way when, you know, during the disco period when, uh, you know, disco menu, disco manufacturers of equipment had a say in what music should be, you know. Don't get me started.
0: <laughs> well, just, I, yeah.
1: Just don't get me started.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you've worked uh, a lot with Phil Collins.
1: Uh, yeah, Phil. I met him on a, on a recording session. He was the drummer. Um, I'm just not, I mean, I was, a, I was a session player for a couple of years, two or three years in London. The, 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 go, the go-to keyboard player. And uh, I'd worked with Sean Phillips, a, a singer-songwriter from Texas, um, who used to record in a studio called Trident in Soho uh, with a very brilliant engineer called Robin Cable. Mm-hmm. And Robin Cable crashed his Chevrolet Camaro going down Abbey Road at 100 miles an hour and suffered brain damage which was the end the end of his career and one of the first recording sessions that he did once he uh, came out of convalescence um, I was on and uh, it was obvious that he wasn't in control of the session so uh, and I knew him and I said he said can you take can you take charge of this so I said yeah I'll just put a microphone by the piano, and we go. Okay, we'll do this, and we'll do this, and we'll do this. Well, Phil Collins was the drummer, although I had no idea who he was. Yeah, and uh, he seemed quite impressed by that. And um, he was—he was, he was going. He, he had a, a hobby—a hobby band, if you like, called Brand X. Right. From his days with Genesis, which was uh, which was a, a, a great unit, a great, a great band. And he he said, "Would I would I consider playing in the band?" Um, he was going to go out with Genesis. There was a a different drummer that used to play with Aldi Miola, and Robin Lumley, who was the keyboard player with Brand X at the time, was going to take over the production chair. So yeah, Percy Jones, the bass player, came out to Los Angeles where I was living, and we jammed around. And he said, "Yeah, that's fine, man." lovely yeah uh, when can you start tomorrow i said whoa, whoa um not really because um i'm trying to get a green card <laughs> and i've been trying to get a green card for three years and all the time i mean i, mean, I played thousands to lawyers <clears throat> so i said i can't really leave until i get that and who knows when that's going to be so uh, that evening, I got a call from Tony Smith, who was Genesis's manager. said, hmm, tomorrow morning, a chap's going to come over to you and uh, give you some instructions. So I thought, okay, what's all this? So this bloke who looked a bit like Columbo, you know, oh, yep. with a shabby raincoat. Right. I can't remember his name. Funny little chap. He said, okay, here's some documents. Sign here, sign here, um, uh, um, and be prepared to go to Canada the day after tomorrow. So they flew me to Canada. I had no idea what was going. We drove down from Niagara to the border, and he went and chatted with the uh, border guards. They said, okay, to photograph, click, green card. So I guess these Genesis chaps had some influence somewhat. Wow. So, yeah, so there I was. So, yeah, we uh, we uh, we did Brand X. We did a great tour. We did an album, a couple of albums. Um... And we did a tour. We, uh, uh, with uh, Phil took the drumming chair again after the third album we did, which was called Product. Uh, we played here in LA and all around America and Europe. It just it was fabulous fun. Wow!
0: Good. And then you also worked with him when he went out solo, right? I think.
1: He... Well, yeah. I think that was. I think that was. Uh, that was part of the course, really, because yeah. uh, you know he 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 wanted to do he wanted to do his solo album. And I think it was a bit of a kick in the teeth for Genesis because the only, the you know nobody I mean you know, drummer writing a song I mean what is that it was impossible ridiculous <laughs> idea well and the thing there was well, the, their their first big hit in America uh, was a song that was written by Phil so they kind of let him you know do his do his album although I think he would have done it anyway.
0: Well, he went back and forth too. He went back to Genesis after. He oh yeah, solo, well, he was right?
1: never going to leave. I mean, he was never yeah. going to leave. I mean, yeah. But the thing was that uh, he, one album you don't, you can't go out with just one album on a solo tour. That's true. And we did, uh, we did the second, we did the second album, and it was when we it was as uh, we were recording an album with uh, Frida from ABBA in stock right. in Stockholm, in freezing Stockholm, and uh, <clears> the. <throat> you know, the band, the band were there, and we we're going, come on, mate, why don't we, let's go and take this on the road. He said, well, I can't really. He said, because uh, there's a, a tax involvement, you know, and, I mean, they pay a fortune to to, to the tax man in England. Anyway, they've, some. I think somehow the their accountant figured out a way that they could actually take it on the road if we all got ninepence a week. And... Uh, and we all stayed in the same room in Mr and Mrs B's bed and breakfast. Um we could at least take it on the road which was great for us because they were great tunes. Yeah. <clears throat> so we did. And we went We we did a tour of of Europe and we went to America and um it was great fun. Little th- little theaters, twenty five hundred seat theaters. Wow. Kind of pantomime stuff, you know. Yeah. It, was, it was great, intimate. And uh the last the last gig of the day was uh, was going to be the Roxy. No, I, I know I lie. It was uh, uh, pa- Pasadena Civic Auditorium. Mm, okay. And the day before that gig, the accountant figured that if we we could play Maple Leaf Gardens and pay for the entire tour with that, if anyone bought a ticket. Well, of course, the thing sold out in microseconds. <laughs> and uh, and so that. That gave Phil the impetus to go, well, maybe we can do stadiums with this stuff, you know, mm. which prompted him to write No Jacket Required, right? You know, which was a, a stadium built yeah. tour, you know.
0: know. And when you're talking about like Face Value, Hello, I Must Be Going, right? Both yeah. great albums. Yeah. You got In the Air Tonight on uh, Face Value, I Missed Again is yes. on Face Value, I believe, right?
1: Yeah. Um, um
0: you can't hurry love. Is... You can't hurry
1: love. I played xylophone on that, or glockenspiel, or something that's impossible. Amazing. Yeah, that's.
0: I mean, yeah, so great t- cover ter- of ter- the Supremes. I mean, that's amazing. Terrific.
1: Yeah, the guy, the guy is the guy is fantastic. I mean, it was it was just it was just at the right time. it was great. It was good songs, and um, and uh, you know, just being at the right place at the right time. And it was one of the most enjoyable. Moments musically in my life, really, you know, yeah. even, even if, you know, pianistically, it was a bit crippling because I really had to imitate his keyboard parts, uh-huh. you know, whereas the drummer's playing, you right. know, imitating Phil Collins drumming, right? yeah, I'll have a go at that, you know, <laughs> and there was the guitar player and the bass player all playing great parts and the earth, wind and fire horn section, but, right. you know. but if I would played whatever I wanted, It would have just sounded like a band, a cover band, playing his stuff, even though he's singing. Right. But without those exact parts, and he's, you know, three fingers and went Mm -hmm. here, then it would not have sounded the same. So it it was a little crippling for me, pianistically. Right. But still, I mean, how could you not enjoy playing in front of 50,000 people those great songs? So, yeah, I mean, bloody hell in
0: the air tonight everyone talks about that when that when that when the drums come when in. the drums come <laughs> in i mean and it's just like it's a it's a popular song it's a haunting song his 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 and just all of the music in it and you know uh that had to be fun man i mean the i, it, I
1: was, it was great fun
0: i said this to you on the phone you know like every actor wants to be a rock star and <laughs> yes. you know yes. i'll tell you this this is this is god's honest truth when we're when I'm we're listening to music at home, I'm always pretending like I'm the keyboard player that gets to like every once in a while <laughs> do the back. I, oh, I
1: love yeah, keyboard playing. Let's like see that. That'd be good. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I mean because you, I mean, look, oh yeah, you play, how If you get to play something like that, that, that intro to uh, Jump by Van Halen, right? The, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry to stop the party, but we had so much good stuff with Jay Peter Robinson that we couldn't fit it into one episode. So stay tuned next week for part two of Jay Peter Robinson on Breakfast.